Oh, Father, thank you um, for our gathering today. Thank you that uh, you have made yourself known through your word um, wonderfully and um, ultimately in the person of your son, the word made flesh, who dwelt among us, died for us, rose again and is now seated at your right hand. We pray that as we hear about some of these things today from your word, you would um, soften our hearts, um, that we would hear what you have for us today, that it would really shape our lives, um, that we would live lives that are um, glorifying to you more and more. Uh, and as we take this good news, uh, this gospel, uh, to our community, uh, we pray that we would be encouraged and inspired uh, to be on mission for you. You are a missional God out of love for your world. And please shape us by your word today. Amen. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they then ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, 
I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that what the patriarch David that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has now received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. A long reading, lots packed in there. Uh, and we're going to really just get an overview today. But let me pray before we dive in uh, and think about God's word together. Our Father... We pray that you might work powerfully amongst us, even now, by the working of your Holy Spirit, to reveal Jesus to us more brightly, more dearly, uh, to open our hearts and our minds to see just how magnificent he is and what you have done in him is, so that we might go out and be witnesses in this world of your glory. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's November, first Sunday of, and of, of November, and you know what that means. Uh, instead of being assaulted by pumpkins when you go to the shops, you're now assaulted by trees. Uh, yes, I, if you haven't clicked already, Christmas is just around the corner. Uh, we're in that time of waiting leading up to Christmas that's so magical for kids and so terrifying for adults as we see the year all running away from us. <laughs> Uh, I want, but how do you go at waiting? How do you go at waiting? Uh, some of us are okay at it. Some of us really hate that whole waiting thing. Uh, if you remember last week at the end of Acts 1, the chapter finishes off with this time of waiting. Uh, the apostles and, remember, that 120 people gathered together, uh, 120 of Jesus' people, and they're, they're gathered together and they're waiting. So look back at 1 verse 4. They knew what they were waiting for, though. 1 verse 4, on one occasion, this is what we looked at last week, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. Uh, he's looking forward to the time when he would have ascended to the Father and they'd be on their own. Uh, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And so we saw this last week. There's 10 days of what incredible waiting period that would have been. They prayed, they, um, they found a new person to take Judas's place, but 10 days of waiting. They didn't know when Jesus would send this gift. Remember from last week, Jesus told them, look, it's not your place to worry about the timing. Um, so it's, it wasn't for them to know. So they, they just wait. They don't know when this is going to happen. 
What we're going to see through this chapter, though, is something quite incredible. It's not just a 10-day-old promise that they've been waiting for that gets fulfilled here. It's actually something so much bigger even than that. What happens on this day of Pentecost is something that God's people have been waiting for ever since the prophet Joel and the other prophets hundreds of years earlier. It's something that they've been waiting for ever since hundreds of years before that, King David. It, in fact, this day stretches right back to the beginning of the Bible. It, it brings fulfillment to the hope of Abraham and his seed. Friend, it's impossible, I think, to overstate the hugeness of this day that we're looking at today. This day that was unique, that was unrepeatable, but this day that has massive consequences for you, for every person. So let's dive in. There's uh, quite a lot to get through. We're going to charge through this chapter. Uh, it's 2 verse 1. The sun comes up on this day of Pentecost. Uh, we think Pentecost, we think this day, but uh, in that time, uh, the, the name Pentecost just meant um, 50th day. It was an annual festival for the Jewish people. So uh, people from all around the known world would gather in Jerusalem for this harvest festival. But no one had any idea about the harvest that was about to happen on this particular day of Pentecost. Uh, so just imagine for a second, imagine you're one of those people, right? You've come to Jerusalem for this harvest. Uh, you're a faithful Jewish person from, let's say, Crete. You get to the temple early in the morning, along with thousands and thousands of others from all over. But suddenly, suddenly from this house nearby, it's a large house, uh, suddenly from one of these houses you hear this overpowering noise, even more overpowering than that, uh, like the most violent storm you've ever heard. This overpowering noise comes from this house, and you're thinking, what on earth is going on? Then out of this house you see these people streaming out, but you have to kind of rub your eyes because they're glowing. These people are glowing. They have what looks like a kind of fire over them. And they all start speaking. It seems at first like just a nonsense babble, but then to your amazement, you pick out one of them speaking your own native language. It's not meaningless babble at all. This person, you listen to them and they're declaring the wonders of God in your tongue. Praising him and urging you to praise him too. And then to cap it off, your friend over there from Egypt, she says she hears another person speaking her language too. And this happens all... And, and, and from, their look, it's, uh, from their look of these guys that have come streaming out of this house, though, it's clear that they're from Galilee... Um, another kind of, you know, that's a bit of a put-down in, in, in the ancient world. These guys are uneducated fishermen from Hicksville, you know? Like, th this, is, this is the kind of thought that the people were having. What's going on? How can they speak all these languages? So imagine you're that person. Besides being totally gobsmacked, what would you have made of that incredible event? Well, perhaps you would have thought all through our scriptures, wind and fire are signs of God, Yahweh's power and presence. 
Uh, we looked at that earlier in the year, if you're with us then, and we looked through Exodus, remember that? Back when the mighty wind of God saved the Israelites or when the pillar of fire guided them. Remember when the mountain was ablaze with fire and storms? Uh, when that fire moved from the mountain, that fire of God's holy presence, and came to rest on the tabernacle, on the holy of holies. And if you were there that day and thinking, this reminds me of that, you would be right. What we're being shown here is this is something of just as important as that incredible foundational moment in the Bible's history, only bigger. Remember that. Remember the tabernacle? We saw this when we went through Exodus. Remember the tabernacle, how God's presence was so holy that only the high priest could enter this holy of holy place and only, he could only enter it once a year. Um, well, here, here was that same awesome, terrifying holy presence of God, not coming to rest on the centre of the temple, which is where people might expect, but now coming to rest on all these people, all these people. Uh, Friends, it's why in the New Testament there is a major theme that God's temple, his dwelling place, is no longer one building in one place. Uh, Jesus talked about himself as the true temple, uh, he's the word who tabernacled among us. He tell, if you remember in, in John 4, he t- tells the Samaritan woman at the well that the time would come when those who worship the Father would worship in spirit and in truth, when the time of a physical temple in a physical place would be over and done with, never to return because he is here, the ultimate temple. So why would you go back to a building when you've got him And not only that, not only that, not only is Jesus the true temple here, he's the one who pours out his spirit on his people. That's why the Apostle Peter can write later on that it's those who come to Jesus, Jews and Gentiles alike, who are like living stones being built into a spiritual house. Or Paul can say of every believer that they are a temple of the Holy Spirit so that We need to live in holiness. We saw that in 1 Corinthians. It's a massive, awesome thing that's going on here. The holy presence of the living God, no longer separated by a curtain in the temple, but now coming to dwell within each of them in an intimate, transforming way. So maybe you're thinking, maybe some of these things, bells are ringing, things are sort of lighting up for you as you're there on this day and watching this happen. Maybe you're there on this day of Pentecost and you have another thought. Maybe you look around at all these Jewish people from all over the known world gathered together and and all hearing the wonders of God in their own tongue. Um, Luke intentionally, he goes, he's at pains to record all these places that these uh, Jewish people have come from. Um, It makes it hard for anyone reading this out loud Uh, But he's making a point, right? He's making a point. Here are God-fearing Jews from all over the known world. Uh, And that's a helpful picture of it. 
And maybe you recognise this. You, you see this happening and this, this thing that's happening with them, uh, this kind of um, bringing together of these people and everyone hearing God speak to them in their own tongue. And maybe uh, you re remember the promises you've heard of the prophets in the Old Testament that God would bring about a great restoration of his people when God would come to his people himself and regather a faithful remnant of scattered Israel around their Messiah and King. Or maybe your thoughts stretch even further back than that, back to Genesis and the devastating effect of sin and pride. Uh, maybe you remember that story of the Tower of Babel back in Genesis 11, how God judged humanity's pride by scattering them out and confusing their language. And then the very next verses in Genesis 12, you remember back to those and you remember the promise that God gave to bring his blessing to all the nations of the earth instead of this curse through Abraham's seed. And maybe you're thinking, could what is happening here on this day of Pentecost, could it even connect to that? Could this be God coming to restore his faithful remnant and through them to bring his blessing to all people. Uh, this is, I think, the question of the apostles that we looked at last, year, last week. Could this be when God is restoring the kingdom to Israel? And in a way that no one expected, because it's more real, more true, more wonderful, the risen Jesus is showing his people here that the answer to those questions is yes, this is it. This is the moment of fulfillment, not just of 10 days waiting, but of the whole world's waiting. This is the beginning of a new age. That's exactly actually what Peter goes on to say, what, what he goes on to say. Some of this crowd write off what's happening. They look at it and they think, these guys are just drunk. Um, that's why they're all speaking weirdly. They can't account for it any other way. But Peter says in verse 16, no, 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 it's not because they're drunk, it's only nine in the morning, they're not Australians. No. Uh, uh, he says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. See, Joel and the other prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to what they called the, the day of the Lord. This day when God would come in power to judge and save his people. Uh, down in verse 20, we see Joel calls this the great and glorious day of the Lord. And on this day, God's spirit, Joel says, would be poured out not just on one or two people, as he was in the Old Testament times, but on all God's people. And not just on the people of Israel. Did you see how this quote finishes in verse 21? And everyone in this day of the Lord, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've, I've shown this before. I think it's quite helpful just to get a picture of what's going on here. So the prophets looked forward to this great day of the Lord. Um, 
It, it would be a day so cosmic that everything would change. Uh, this age would come to a close and a new age would begin where God would dwell with his people in fullness. But something happened with Jesus that the prophets kind of only saw in shadow form. Jesus brought that day of the Lord, that coming age of God's kingdom, right into the present. He brought about what theologians call the overlap of the ages. Can you see that overlap up there? This age will come to an end, uh, not with Jesus' first coming, but his second, another day of the Lord, when what is true in Jesus becomes true for the whole world, when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. But the great and glorious day of the Lord that Joel spoke about has already come in Jesus. The new age is already here in him. And for those who live between these two days, they live in what the writers of the New Testament call the last days. Uh, so the last days aren't some time in the future we need to kind of be on the lookout for. They're now. They're the whole period between Jesus' first and second coming. And for those who look to Christ, who call on him, on, on, him, on his name, in a very real way, they are already living in this age to come. They already have God's empowering spirit. We saw when we looked at Colossians, you saw this in chapter 3, they, those who look to Christ in, this, in these last days are now raised with Christ and seated with him at the right hand of God. That is what is true about you if you are in him. Uh, this is, uh, I know it's a little bit sort of um, technical or something, but, it, but it's really important to understand. There is a now and a not yet tension in this overlap of the ages in these last days. The kingdom has come and the kingdom is still to come in all its fullness. The new creation is now here in the risen Jesus and his spirit indwelt people, but it's not yet here in all its fullness. So I, I think if you don't see this, uh, you won't be able to understand most of what the New Testament says about the Christian life, which is marked by this tension of the now and the not yet. And it comes through here in Acts 2, I think. And, and, and just as a kind of aside, do you know the reason the New Testament gives for these last days stretching out? Well, the explicit reason we're given in 2 Peter is so that you could be saved, so that more people could be saved, so that more and more people could call on the name of the Lord and repent and be saved. Because when that final day comes, it will be too late. This day... Today is the day of opportunity and hope for all who call on the name of the Lord. But who is the Lord? Who is this Lord whose name we call on? Well, in Joel, it's clear. Um, the Lord is, that we call on is Yahweh, is the, the one creator God who rules all things. But what does Peter go on to say? The Lord, Yahweh, whose name we call on, that Lord is Jesus. Uh, and really, that's the main point of the rest of Peter's speech. 
Uh, and remember who Peter's talking to here. Um, these are many of the same people who just 50 days earlier were crying out for Jesus to be brutally killed. And in verse 22, Peter says, Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. See, they had seen Jesus' miracles, many of them. Um, and his miracles were like a megaphone shouting out, here is God's man. And yet, they viciously put him to death with the help of wicked men, Peter says. But that's not all that's going on here, right? Even that, most evil of things, even that couldn't get in the way of God fulfilling his unstoppable purposes and plans. In fact, it's, just, it's stronger than that. It's not just that it couldn't get in the way of it. See what Peter says? This was God's deliberate plan. He took the most evil thing and brought about the greatest good. He is so sovereign that what humans intended for evil, he intended for good. His plan is unstoppable. So Peter goes on in verse 24 about this one who, humanly speaking, uh, seemed to be snuffed out from the earth. But verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus? Well, it's because of who he is. Um, and that's what Peter does with these quotes from David, King David in the Psalms, and Psalm 16 especially. He takes this psalm and shows this. So David in the Old Testament was like a small m Messiah um, or Christ. Uh, that word, it just means uh, an anointed one, God's anointed ruler. But by the Spirit and by God's own promise to him, uh, David saw that there would come a time when there'd be a capital M Messiah. Uh, the true eternal Christ over God's people who would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead. And so down in verse 32, Peter declares to this crowd, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. How are we going? There's a lot in here, isn't there? But it's not just that God raised him from the dead. Not only that, this risen Christ would also be the ascended Lord of everything. Um, that's, look at verse 33. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So friends, you see what Peter's saying here? This amazing thing has happened. And if you're one of these people from around the area, kind of in Jerusalem for this, you'd be thinking, what is going on? What is, what is, what, what is going on here? 
And what does Peter talk about? Or maybe a better question is, who does Peter talk about? He talks about Jesus. He talks about Jesus. I think it's helpful to see this. I reckon when I was kind of preparing this series, I thought this sermon would be all about the Holy Spirit. And maybe for many Christians, that's um, what we think. The, the day of Pentecost, the main theme of that day, is that it's about the Holy Spirit. There's something right about that. This is the unique, wonderful moment of the great outpouring of God's Spirit that changes everything. But friends, we honour God's Spirit by listening to him and speaking through Peter. He is saying, this day of Pentecost, it's not, about, it's not actually about me, it's all about Jesus. I'm here to shine my light on him to open your hearts to see how wonderful he is, how he brings fulfillment to every purpose and plan of the Father, how every promise finds its yes in him. I'm here to fill you with a glad boldness about him, to assure you that he is who he says he is. And that's how Peter finishes this part of his sermon. What is his kind of pointy bit of this sermon first christian sermon ever preached what's his application it's, you can find it in verse 36 uh, where, where does it all kind of come to a head where is this all driving therefore let all israel be assured of this god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah So everything that's happened, the, the wonderful outpouring of the Spirit of God, the miraculous wind and fire, the declaring of God's wonders in foreign tongues, the gathering and restoring of the faithful remnant of Israel, all these things, Peter says, are proof that the great and glorious day of the Lord has come, that the last days are here, when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and will receive his spirit. All of these things are proof that the living and exalted Lord is Jesus, who now pours out his spirit, that he is the long-awaited Messiah who would save his people. This utterly and irreversibly transformed the people who received it on that day. Um, we're going to read more about that next week. We'll see what that transformation looked like. But for today, we need to hear Peter's strong call to be assured about who Jesus is. Um, this was firstly a call to the, the gathered people of Israel here, as he says, that all the house of Israel be assured of this. But we're going to see as we go through Acts that this restored Israel expands out to include those from every nation who call on their living Lord and Messiah. So this is a call to all people everywhere. This is a call to you. And this is really important because, I mean, let's face it, like Christians believe some pretty out there stuff, right? 
If you're a Christian, you believe a man walked around 2,000 years ago who claimed to be God and was God. Um, You believe that the whole world, everything you see and touch and feel, the whole world was made through him and for him. Uh, You believe that um, he himself came and died on a cross. You believe that he rose from the dead that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, that he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. You know, you could go on and on, right? Things that maybe we say so often that we forget how out there these things are. And friends, I think many churchgoers live with an unspoken lack of certainty about these things. We, 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 if we're asked, we'll say, yes, of course we believe them. Um, But the question rises in our quiet moments, what if it's not true? It's not bad to have that question. But perhaps you can sort of push it down for a while and not address it until it comes up another day. Or maybe, maybe you don't examine this question of assurance because if it is true, it's so all encompassing. It would change everything. And you're not quite sure you want that kind of a change in your life. If this is true, your whole life would need to be shaped by it. And maybe you're not sure that Jesus can be trusted with your whole life. Perhaps it's safer to hold back your relationships, your work, your time and money, whatever it is. So you keep coming to church and... And yes, believing, but you won't get too carried away. Friends, the Lord's Apostle, who was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, filled with his spirit, speaks to you today. He gives doubting Christians a sure and solid foundation He gives sleepy Christians a bucket of water to the face. That's what's going on here. He gives those who are not not Christian, he gives a strong call and a plea. Be assured of this. Be assured of this. God, in fulfilment of his one saving plan that he has been working through all history, God has made this Jesus the most wonderful, loving human who has ever lived, who did and said things only God could do and say, the one who was crucified for sin and raised to life, who has ascended to his Father's right hand, who rules the world and pours out his Spirit to all who turn on him. God has made this Jesus both Lord and and Messiah. Be assured of this good and wonderful and life-changing news. Hear the Spirit's word to you today that you can be assured of that. This is the fulfillment of all of these great and wonderful things. And if you 
do receive that in your heart today. What difference would it make for you? Well, keep reading and come back next week. Um, let me pray. Let me pray. Our oh God, there are so many things that can take our eyes off, off you, off our Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, so many things outside of ourselves, so many things within ourselves. But we pray that you might do a mighty, miraculous work in each of us this day by your Holy Spirit, whom you have graciously and generously and abundantly poured out. Please do that work only you can do of changing our hearts, of reaching into us, of giving us that comfort and assurance where we need it, of pouring that cold water in our face when we need it, of waking us up to the truth and the beauty and the goodness of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us grace, we pray, to live thankfully, having received all of this, to live thankfully for your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.